And for those of you that are utilizing our children's ministry, you are more than welcome to to take your children back there now to check in. We run that through uh, first grade. And for those of you whose kids are staying with us, just again, we uh, love having kids in the service. And so um, there is a uh, kind of a bulletin or worship guide, if you will, that, that they can use to follow along with us in the sermon this morning. Uh, we have been going through just our confession of faith, just reading it kind of paragraph by paragraph. And this morning, we're in chapter 5, which speaks to uh, the providence of our triune God. And I'm just going to read uh, paragraph 1 before I jump into the sermon for this morning. But this is what our confession, the 1689 London Baptist Confession says. It says, God the good creator of all things in his infinite power and wisdom doth uphold, direct, dispose, and govern all creatures and things from the greatest even to the least by his most wise and holy providence to the end for which they were created according unto his infallible foreknowledge in the free and immutable counsel of his own will to the praise of the glory of his wisdom, power, justice, infinite goodness and mercy. So that is paragraph one of chapter five of our confession. But if you have your Bibles, turn with me to the book of Isaiah, the book of Isaiah. We are uh, Lord willing over the next uh, several weeks as we are, are in, in the midst of the Christmas season, we're just going to look particularly uh, at verse 6 and just slowly work our way um, through verse 6 and by God's grace get as much devotional value uh, as we can out of it. And so, um, so chapter 9 verses 6 to 7, allow me to read it and then I'm going to pray and then I'm just going to jump right in. Isaiah, under the inspiration of the Spirit of God, he recorded these words. He prophesied these, these words. He says, For unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given, and the government will be upon his shoulder, and his name will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and peace, there will be no end. Upon the throne of David and over his kingdom to order it and establish it with judgment and justice from that, that time forward, even forever, the zeal of the Lord of hosts will perform this, which is God through Isaiah saying, this is going to happen, right? According to my name, this is going to happen. So why don't we go to the Lord in prayer and we'll jump in this morning. God, we thank you for your word. Thank you for allowing us, God, to just slowly work our way through this passage of Scripture over the next few weeks. And God, we ask that your Holy Spirit would conform us more into the image of your Son, Jesus Christ, Lord, who's our Savior, who rescued us from our sins. God, it is in Him alone that we find salvation, that we find security, that we find assurance of our faith. And so ground us in that fixed reality even more this morning and over the next few weeks. And help us not to move past what we think we know about this passage too quickly. Help us depend upon your spirit as we read it and as we study it. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. 
So like I said, Lord willing, over, over the next few weeks, we're going to kind of corporately, if you will, meditate on this passage of Scripture, and particularly of verse 6 here in, in chapter 9, the book of Isaiah. And, and just to give a little bit of background, this is the Lord, again, prophesying through Isaiah, whom he raised up, if you're familiar with the ministry of Isaiah, if you're familiar with the book of Isaiah, the Lord, uh, he raised Isaiah up in the year that King Uzziah died. We see that in chapter 6, verse 1 of Isaiah, which was a time that the people of God would go from prosperity to this decline into captivity and then eventually being rescued again, being pulled out of that captivity. And this prophecy verses 6 and 7 here of chapter 9, it comes during the downswing, if you will, in the life of God's people, in the life of Judah. So, so Judah at this time is, uh, is no longer prosperous and is getting ready to go into Babylonian captivity. Judah's increasingly feeling this pressure of, of its enemies Judah's uh, beginning to feel this sense of, of helplessness, and the Lord, through Isaiah, gives a prophecy about a son, okay? Gives a prophecy about a child that is for God's people and against the enemies of God's people. And this is, and we can see this just from these couple of verses here, this is a child who has authority, it's a child who has authority, one whose government and whose peace knows no end, a government that is under his lordship, his kingship, and executes righteous judgments. And given the nature of this prophecy, as we're reading it, and again, many of you guys, because especially around Christmas, we're familiar with this prophecy, but right out of the gate, we should see this passage, this child who has authority, who the government will rest upon his shoulders and that there will be no end to his reign. We should see who as the fulfillment of this passage, Jesus. We should see Jesus as the fulfillment of this passage. So that's our starting place, if you will. And that really is our presupposition over the next four weeks as we look at this passage. So if you're taking notes, you can jot this down. I don't have this in your takeaways this morning, but Jesus is the fulfillment of Isaiah 9-6, or Isaiah 9-6 and 7. But again, we're going to focus on verse 6. Okay, so, so like I said, this is, this is the banner, okay, or, or even the conclusion, if you will, for every one of our sermons this month for, uh, for December. And, and, and while that's what I want us to see ultimately, I also want to show how it is that we come to that conclusion. And my goal is that not only will we see even the why, why, why is it that Christ is the fulfillment? Why should we come to that conclusion? But that I, my prayer is, is that we will together savor this passage. And in savoring this passage, it will savor Christ, right? Meaning our, our worship of him will grow deeper and our love and our commitment to him will grow stronger. That's, that should be a result of us spending time together in God's word. Now, we see justification for this interpretation of Isaiah chapter 9, verse 6 in different ways that are significant and that give us clues into how to interpret all of Scripture, all of the Bible. First, this child that's mentioned in our text is also mentioned a few chapters earlier in Isaiah chapter 7, particularly verse 14. 
And again, you, you know this passage of Scripture. If you've been in church life for any length of time, this is familiar to you. But I'm just going to read it just for those of you who perhaps aren't familiar with it. Isaiah prophesies this. is therefore the Lord himself will give you a sign. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son and shall call his name what? Emmanuel. Emmanuel. What does that name Emmanuel mean? And it means God with us, right? God with us. And we, we see this passage of Scripture, Isaiah chapter 7, verse 14. We see it applied directly to Jesus. In Matthew chapter 1, verse 23, we also see Luke record it for us as, as, Jesus, as it's being applied to Jesus as well. Luke chapter 1, verse 31. Right? So Matthew and Luke, they said that the birth of Jesus is the fulfillment of the Isaiah prophecies. Okay, so, so we see in the New Testament writers a biblical justification for applying this passage of Scripture, this prophecy, to Jesus. Okay, so this is the first thing we should note. Secondly, we also see justification for this way of interpreting Scripture in the teachings of Christ himself. Luke chapter 24, verse 44 says, then he, speaking of Jesus, then he said to them, these are the words which I spoke to you while I was still with you, that all things must be fulfilled, which are written in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms concerning me. Saying all of the Old Testament, okay? That's what Christ is summarizing there for us. Speaking of the religious leaders, or speaking to the religious leaders of the day, Jesus said this, he says, you, you search the scriptures for in them, you think you have eternal life. And these are they which testify of me, but you're not willing to come to me that you may have life. That's John chapter five, verses 39 to 40. And so, so not seeing Christ in the handling of all the scriptures is according to Christ evidence of a hard heartedness even evidence of an unwillingness to come to him. So we have biblical warrant for reading the Old Testament with a New Testament in mind, which is to say that we have biblical warrant to read the Old Testament with Jesus in mind, okay? In fact, we should interpret any passage of Scripture with the, the whole counsel of God's Word in mind. Now, there's this book that I heard about years ago, called Never Read a Bible Verse. I think that that's the name of the, the, the book. And I've, I've never read that book, so I can't, I'm not commending it to you. <clears throat> but if the author is getting at what I think he's getting at, he's, he's saying, because he's a Christian author, he's saying that we should read a Bible verse in light of all of Scripture. Right, not just an isolated verse, not just even the immediate context or chapter context, but we read the Bible considering all that God's Word has to say. So if, if that's what the title of the book is getting at, and I think that it is, then that's certainly the way that the apostles and Christ himself taught us to read and interpret Scripture. And that's even what the church fathers, that's how they interpreted the Scripture as well. So, so as, we, as we read Scripture, it's good for us to see the, the real 
and natural messianic connections between the Old and New Testaments. It's good for us to see the continuity between the Old and New Testaments, the necessity of both the Old and New Testaments, because they both testify about Christ who came to deliver us from the dominion of sin. Okay, that, that's, that's the point of the scripture. So with that said, let's get a little bit more into this title, Wonderful Counselor. That's kind of where we're going to camp out this morning, Wonderful Counselor. Wonderful, as an adjective, it means of an extraordinary nature, making it mysterious, and just note that word for now, making it mysterious or difficult to comprehend. In other words, it, it's something unusual, it's not ordinary, it's not common, it's, uh, quite frankly, it's miraculous. It's miraculous. So, so there's this uniqueness in view here as it relates to, to Christ, and this is what we need to see this morning. There's, some, there's a uniqueness to here as it relates to Christ as wonderful. And, and think about this. God's people here in Isaiah, they're looking to God for deliverance, okay? They, they know that God has delivered before, and they know that God can deliver again, okay? They know that God can do wonders, which is out of the ordinary type of work. He can do wonders in the deliverance of his people, and we see that that very thing in the Song of Moses is, is he's leading the Israelites in worship of God who had just delivered them from Egyptian slavery. If you just want to look, you can turn, or we have it up on the screen as well. Exodus chapter 15, verses 11 to 13, we see this song of Moses. Who is like you, O Lord, among the gods? Who is like you, glorious in holiness, fearful in praises, get this, doing wonders, doing wonders. You stretched out your right hand and the earth swallowed them. Swallowed who? The Egyptians, right? Swallowed them. You and your mercy have led forth the people whom you have redeemed. You've guided them in your strength to your holy habitation. The, the Lord certainly did wonderful things. Right? He did wonders in rescuing the Israelites out of Egyptian slavery. And as wonderful as that was, it was still preaching to the Israelites and to us many, many years later an even more wonderful thing, right? Or rather, a more wonderful person. A more wonderful person that Isaiah is prophesying about under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit of God. Now, there's another passage of Scripture that, that can help us to understand this even better. And I'd encourage you, flip over with me to the book of Judges. The book of Judges, chapter 13, a brutal time in history. If you were with us for the, uh, the Ruth series, that's the context of, of the book of Ruth, the time of the Judges. Judges, chapter 13, verses 17 to 18. If you were to read that account, you see a man named Manoah, uh, who's, who is Samson's, Dad, he encounters the angel of the Lord, who our text makes the text there makes clear is the is the pre-incarnate Christ. And and pre-incarnate Christ comes to tell Manoah and his wife, who is barren, that they will have a son, who and that son will be will be Samson. Okay. Now the angel of the Lord first appears 
to Manoah's wife, and she doesn't inquire of his name, and he doesn't tell her who he is or, or uh, where he's come from, but she believes his message, and she declares him to her husband to be, quote, a man of God. And she goes on, and his countenance of the angel of God, very awesome, is what she says in Judges 13, verse 6. Manoah, on hearing the news of that visitation, he then prays uh, to God and he asks God that the man of God would come and visit them again. And God answers Manoah's prayers. The text says the angel of God appeared to Manoah's wife again, and then she ran out to get her husband uh, when, when this angel of the Lord appeared. And from there, Manoah asks questions of the angel of the Lord, and that gets us into verses 17 to 18, if you want to look. It says, then Manoah said to the angel of the Lord, what is your name? That when your words come to pass, we may honor you. And the angel of the Lord said to him, why do you ask my name? Seeing it is what? Wonderful. Seeing it is wonderful. Now, after this encounter, Manoah and his wife come to see that they had been visited by the Lord and, and they worship him. But I want you to notice that word wonderful used by the angel of the Lord, who again is the pre-incarnate Christ. The, the pre-incarnate Christ refuses to give Manoah his name because it's wonderful. And that word has behind it this idea of mystery. In fact, in the, in the CSB, the Christian Standard Bible, it translates the Hebrew word there as beyond understanding. And the KJV translates this Hebrew word as secret, as secret. Right? Christ is, is concealing his identity in Judges chapter 13, verses 17 to 18. The, the, the apostle Paul picks up on this mystery, this idea of mystery or this secret as it relates to the identity of Christ in 1 Timothy chapter 3, verse 16. And, and, and we see now by looking at this, and I'll read it in just a moment, that this wonderful, okay, this person that is beyond understanding is now made clearer. And at the time of the Apostle Paul writing to Timothy, the pastor at Ephesus, there's this common creed that was well known in the early church. And Paul records and unfolds this, this long pondered mystery. He says in verse 16, and without controversy, great is the mystery of godliness. And here's the creed. God was manifested in the flesh justified in the spirit, seen by angels, preached among the Gentiles, believed on in the world, and received up in glory. This mystery, this secret, this person who's wonderful is one that's finally revealed to us in the new covenant that in God's timing, that which was concealed was revealed or, or concluded or rather accomplished in the incarnation of Jesus Christ. Now, this is the uniqueness of wonderful that, that sets it apart from all the wonders that we read of in the Old Testament leading to this very moment. It's Jesus who is wonderful that the wonders of God in the Old Testament point us toward. And according to this creed in 1 Timothy, this mystery Paul speaks of that's now revealed, right, it's that God was manifested in flesh. That, that Jesus, who we'll see even more in the coming weeks, is the eternal God who would become man. And that's truly wonderful, right? In, in, every, in every sense of the word, right? Can anything be more wonderful 
than wonderful incarnate. Can anything be better than that? The answer, if you're wondering, is no. Right? Right, this mystery revealed is that the spirit is the, the spirit of God testified as he descended upon Jesus like a dove at his baptism. This mystery that the spirit of God magnified in Christ as he performed miraculous things like healings and exorcisms that we've been studying in Mark. This mystery that was seen by the angels and announced at the incarnation of Christ and, and these angels that ministered, that testified about Christ and, and Christ being God incarnate that ministered to him in the wilderness. This mystery that was preached among the Gentiles by the Apostle Paul himself, namely that the Messiah has come, right? This being preached by the, the Apostle to the Gentiles. This mystery that because it was preached to the Gentiles, we're here today, right? This mystery that's gone out in power all throughout the world as the Spirit of God carries the messengers of God, ambassadors of Christ to every tribe and every tongue and every nation, This mystery who has ascended to God's right hand, Acts chapter 1, 9 through 11. Christ is truly wonderful. He's wonderful. So we see the inseparable connection between wonderful and mystery or secret, which implies for us a particular timeline. It, it, it implies a particular timeline. And so if you're taking notes, one of the reasons, if we need to see it even more clearly this morning, that we see Jesus as the fulfillment of Isaiah 6, 9 is because Jesus is the mystery of God revealed to us at exactly the right time. Right? Jesus is the mystery of God revealed to us at exactly the right time. Right? Paul says uh, as much in his letter to the Galatian church, Galatians chapter 4 Verses 4 to 5, it says, But when the fullness of the time had come, God sent forth his Son, born of a woman. Right? That, that's the Isaiah seven fourteen language, if you're paying attention here. But God sent forth his Son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law, right? that's us, that we might receive the adoption of sons, which by God's grace is also us. God's son, who who is this child in Isaiah that shall be called wonderful, he came at the appointed time, not not in accidental time, not in reaction to what God observed in man from a distance. God's son came exactly when our triune God decreed for it to happen in eternity past, and he came for the purpose of saving us. He came for the purpose of saving us, right? This prophecy being proclaimed in Isaiah in a time when Judah is facing captivity, it preaches to us an even more severe captivity, right? It it preaches to us our captivity to sin, or we should pick up on that at least, right? This sin that we're enslaved to, or these sinful, sinful inclinations that at times delight us, but at the same time, dominate us and and prevent us from escaping or even wanting to escape what what John Bunyan calls the city of destruction, right? The city's burning down. We can tell that, but none of us want to leave. That's our condition apart from the intervening work of God. 
And God in his grace and in his mercy transfers us out of the city of destruction, right? And puts us on the path toward the celestial city. Apart from Christ, we're captives and we don't know, not really, nor do we care, really. Another one of Isaiah's messianic prophecies teaches us this. The spirit of the Lord God is upon me because the Lord has anointed me to preach good tidings to the poor. He sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives and the opening of the prison to those who were bound, Isaiah 61.1. And Jesus quoted this in Luke chapter 4, verses 18 to 19 to demonstrate that he's the very fulfillment, again, of this prophecy. Right? Christ came to deliver us from our sin. He came and he shed his blood so that we could have spiritual liberty. He came and he opened the prison that held our very souls in everlasting bondage. Again, he, he transferred us from that city of destruction to the celestial city. And that happened according to the purposes and plans set down in eternity past. And it was accomplished 2,000 years ago in the first advent. That's why we celebrate Christmas. That's why we celebrate Christmas. Matthew Henry, Puritan commentator, he says of Christ being called wonderful, he says this, Justly is he called wonderful, for he's both God and man. His love is the wonder of angels and glorified saints. In his birth, life, death, resurrection, and ascension, he was wonderful. A constant series of wonders attended him, and without controversy, great was the mystery of godliness. Right? He's pulling in the words of the Apostle Paul here. Great was the mystery of godliness concerning him. Right? As Christians, like many of you may be sitting here this morning, and you're like, I, I know this already. I got it. My question is, do we relish in it? Do we relish in it? Or are we bored with it? I hope not. Right? The, the most wonderful of news that wonderful incarnate, the mystery of God is our Savior, right? Jesus Christ. And he's, he's our Savior from sin, right? That's truly wonderful, wonderful. And I pray that we're not over it. I pray that as a church body, as Deer Park Fellowship, that we never get over the most wonderful of news. Now, we haven't even addressed that he's wonderful counselor. And I'm going to spend less time on that because... I've spent too much time on wonderful. But some connect these two, wonderful counselor, and, and I think that that's right. right. Other scholars make them more distinct, but either way, Jesus is the wonderful counselor. It's the wonderful counselor. Matthew Henry gives just further insight as well into Christ as wonderful counselor. He says, he's the wonderful counselor for he was intimately acquainted with the counsels of God from eternity and he gives counsel to the children of men in which he consults our welfare. It's by him that God has given us counsel. Psalm 16, 7, Revelation 3, 18. He's the wisdom of the Father and is made of God to us wisdom. Some join these together, meaning wonderful counselor. He's the wonderful counselor, a wonder or miracle of a counselor. And in this, as in other things, he has the preeminence. None teaches like him. Right? None teaches like Christ. Isaiah 28, 29. This also comes from the Lord of hosts. Who is wonderful in counsel and excellent in guidance? Who is wonderful in counsel and excellent in guidance? Proverbs eight fourteen. Counsel is mine. 
and sound understanding. I am understanding. I have strength. Right? Jesus is the wonderful counselor. Right? Cross-referencing this, you would, you would see passages like the ones I just read to you, and you'd see passages that remind us that there's safety and a multitude of counselors. We see that in various places in the book of, of Proverbs. But you also see a great warning regarding wicked counseling as well, if you were to cross-reference this Isaiah 9-6 passage. In 2 Chronicles chapter 22, verses 3 and 4, you see the cost of keeping company with wicked counsel and, and wicked counselors. Um, there's a particular king who's the son of another king, uh, Jehoram, who kept and, 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 and took wicked counsel, which included wicked counsel from his own mother. Uh, the counselors he kept kept him on the path of the wicked king that we know as King Ahab. But verses 3 to 4 says this, he, speaking of this king, he also walked in the ways of the house of Ahab, for his mother advised him to do wickedly. Therefore, he did evil in the sight of the Lord, like the house of Ahab. For they, right, the house of Ahab, they were his counselors after the death of his father. And it says, to his destruction, to his destruction. Right? We know this in some measure because we've experienced this. You know, perhaps we've been on the path of receiving and taking wicked counsel that, that puts us on the wrong path, or perhaps we have been at some stage in our lives those that have given bad, wicked counseling. But the counsel that you take, it either puts you on the path of life ever, everlasting or it puts you on the path of sin and misery and an eternal hell. Now, there, there's no neutral third way. Now, that's not to say that in God's common grace, non-Christians don't make wise decisions in their life. But apart from heeding the counsel of Christ, which is chiefly to come to Him in repentance and faith, right? our path is ultimately the path of destruction. Our path is ultimately the road to hell. Right? Counsel belongs to the Lord belongs to the Lord, and His counsel is an invitation to come to Him. And in our coming to Him, we live our lives to the praise of His glorious grace. In other words, our coming to Christ, it affects, or it should affect, every aspect of our lives. Because to come to Christ is to be owned, possessed by Christ. And that's, that's the good life. That is the good life. Look with me just for a moment. Just in closing, Colossians chapter 2, verses 1 to 3, because it's there that we see Christ genuinely as the source, this good life. And, and we see Christ as the source of giving, uh, giving life-giving counsel. Paul says, I want you to know what a great conflict I have for you and those in Laodicea. And for as many as have not seen my face in the flesh, that their hearts may be encouraged, being knit together in love and attaining to all riches of the full assurance of understanding, Get this, to the knowledge of the mystery of God, both of the Father and of Christ, in whom are hidden all treasures of wisdom and knowledge. Right? We see again in that passage that phrase, the knowledge of the mystery of God that Paul uses, right? that connects us to wonderful. But we see as well that Christ is the person in whom, all, in, in whom is hidden all treasures of wisdom and knowledge. I read this week of, of several 
frankly, kind of dystopian advances that are being made uh, technologically speaking. And, and these advances are being made in many ways in a pursuit to have ultimate knowledge and ultimate wisdom uh, and, and, and perhaps ultimate power. Yet according to Colossians 2, in, in the sweeping testimony of Scripture, wisdom and knowledge are byproducts of knowing Jesus Christ. They're byproducts of knowing Jesus Christ. Right? To know Christ is to possess wisdom and knowledge because Christ is wisdom and knowledge incarnate. Right? This means that these treasures of wisdom and knowledge are found in Christ because Christ is the eternal God. So this title, Wonderful Counselor, right, it teaches us that Jesus is divine wisdom, that Jesus is divine power, and that he alone is the source and path of, of the full assurance of understanding that he alone came. Again, while we celebrate Christmas, he came, and he came to seek and to save the lost. So a few takeaways for us this morning based on this text, based on this sermon. First, always read the Bible and this is in your bulletin. Always read the Bible with the knowledge that all of it testifies about Jesus. Secondly, Jesus is wonderful incarnate, which for sinners is the most wonderful of news because he saves sinners. Three, if you want wisdom, go to Christ, the source and giver of wisdom. And four, the counsel we apply is either from Christ or the Antichrist. There's no neutral ground. Well, we go to the Lord in prayer. God, we thank you for this time together in your word. And God, we ask that you would continue to use it to shape us and to mold us into who you want us to be. And Lord, we thank you that Christ is our wonderful counselor. And God, we, God, we thank you again for in your common grace all, all the, the wisdom and knowledge that is available to all people. But God, salvifically being made right with you, we must come to the wonderful counselor. And we thank you that by your spirit, you draw us to yourself and you put us in right relationship with you. So thank you for changing us. Thank you for the union that we share with Jesus. And we pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. This is the time where we come to the Lord's Supper. If you're a